tonight, if you would, open your Bibles up to Ecclesiastes 2. Uh, I recommend just keeping it open on your lap. We're going to work through it in sections tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. As you, as you find your way there in the middle of, of your Bibles, let me ask you a few questions. Have you ever pursued something with all of your might, thinking, once I have, fill in the blank. I'll be happy. And then, after getting what you wanted, after you pursued blank with all of your might, and you got blank, you weren't satisfied. Anyone relate to that? And then after that, did you again tell yourself, well, once I get this thing, this fill in the blank, then I'll be content. Then I will have arrived. And then after getting such and such thing, were you disappointed? Have you ever listened to someone talk like this and say, you know, once I get such and such, then I'll be content, then I'll be happy. And you just knew that, that thinking was foolish, you know, whether you're talking to a family member or a friend, or even just listening to your own thoughts. And yet, you caught yourself doing the same thing again, even though you knew it was foolish. I would challenge you even to consider right now. What are you imagining right now? What have you been dreaming this week? Once I get blank, then I'll be happy. What is that for you? Sleep. Sleep? Yeah. Textbooks. Textbooks. Mine's pretty nerdy. It's understanding Marxism and secularism. Once I learn such and such, then I'll be happy. I don't know how to speak. Yes, yes. Um, confessions. But let's, let's, it's time to recognize a lie as a lie. Amen? Once I get blank, then I'll be happy is a lie. Just go ahead and call that a lie. Tell yourself that is a lie. It's also time that we recognize, if you haven't already, that our culture bombards us with this lie all the time. Every commercial. You get this dish soap, you learn to use it, the ladies will love you. You see that message? I mean, it's basically the message of the commercial. Every billboard, this is what this is what parents tell their children. You, you work hard enough, you live smart enough, you'll get everything you need and you'll be happy. Teachers, we, we pass this on to students, commencement speakers at graduation, and it's just something that's ingrained in our culture, that if you live smart enough, work hard enough, you'll get a lot of stuff and it'll make you happy. And it's just not true. Solomon is here to tell us from his experience how not true that is. If your own experience hasn't convinced you, let us be wise and listen to King Solomon. Uh, let's begin. We'll read from uh, Ecclesiastes 2, verses uh, 1 through 11 to start, and we'll just work our way through section by section. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon writes, he says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was man. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on the Father, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and 
planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and princes. I got singers. He bought the band. He said both men and women and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my textbook, I'm sorry. Also, also my wisdom, maybe wisdom comes from textbooks. Verse 9, also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Let's pray. God, there is nothing to be gained under the sun. There's only Jesus, the King who sits enthroned above the sun. Would you make us wise in the salvation? And would you grow our longing for Jesus? Would you set our hearts on Jesus? Would you turn our eyes to behold, to adore, and to hear from King Jesus? Speak to us, please, Jesus. So, um, summing this up, you know, Solomon basically says, I tried all sorts of pleasures. I, I didn't put any sort of throttle on myself. If I wanted it, I went after it. And he gives us a detailed list of things he went after. He said, verse 2, I said of laughter, it is mad. He had pursued comedy. How often when we have a bad day, we just want to watch something lighthearted. We just want to distract our minds. And we think maybe we can find some meaning in comedy. How often does, has that let you down? He says that then he turns to wine, to, to alcohol, to tomfoolery, the, the best of wine. And, and drinking maybe distracts momentarily from the pain but it gives him no meaning, it gives no significance to his life. He, he details all these achievements in construction. I mean, Solomon lived the American dream before there was an America. He, he built great houses, he built, he, uh, he built the, the temple, he built a palace, a great palace for himself. Planted vineyards, made gardens and parks, and so he planted in them all kinds of fruit trees, and some commentators say there that this is a reference back to, to Genesis 1 or, or Genesis 2 where it says that, you know, God had created the Garden of Eden, Eden this beautiful place with fruit trees of every kind to satisfy the hearts of man. And it's like he's trying to return back to paradise here. He can't do that either. He had great engineering feats. He, he made himself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. And he had servants. Don't we search out Servants through technology, we want this to go to do that for us, wash our clothes, wash our dishes, whatever. He had all the best service. Details all these possessions he had, herds and flocks, all these silver and gold, the treasure of kings and provinces, meaning he not only had great wealth in his kingdom, but he also ruled other kingdoms and he had their wealth uh, paying tribute to him as well. And like I said, he got the band here. He, he had singers. He had entertainment all the time. Do we not seek after meaning and entertainment? Do we not seek joy and peace from entertainment? And 
And then he says, I had many concubines. He had 300 concubines, in fact, and 700 wives. Unchecked pleasure. And men, women, you know, before you say, must be nice, you know, think to yourself, we, we, we're able to do that too. Pornography, romance novels, people do that. We stand guilty. You have no meaning, no satisfaction there either. And then he pursues meaning through greatness. So trying to, in verse 9, he says, I became great, surpassed all who were before me in prison. He, he became somebody. Found no meaning in that either. And then verse 10, he kind of sums up all his pursuits. He just had unchecked hedonism. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep them. I just went after it. But essentially, he says, in gaining everything, I really gained nothing. Gaining everything, I gained nothing. I found no lasting satisfaction, no contentment, no solace, no peace for my soul. So he turns to wisdom, verse 12. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. What can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to them all. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies, just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun is grievous to me. For all is vanity and striving after wind. Solomon's lament here is, is, is he's saying, you know, well, first of all, he's saying, you know, there is some slight advantage to wisdom. Just like there's a, an advantage to uh, the lights being on in your house versus it being dark when you get up to help a child go back to bed or get up to go to the bathroom. You know, if you've got toys out in the middle of the floor, light is some advantage to you over darkness, right? And so wisdom is of some advantage to you to help you to avoid the pitfalls of life. But he, but he comes to this conclusion that even if I live wisely, I'm still going to die. And if, if this life is all there is, then what's the point in, in living in wisdom? If this life is all there is, then what's the point in living in wisdom? Why not have a little, more, a little bit more fun? And I think that's really where the philosophy of YOLO comes from. You only live once, so why are you going to be so hemmed up? You know, Go live, go do something. But is this life all there is? You only live once and then you die and face judgment. But to sum it up, he's, in this section he says, I tried living wisely because in living wisely you avoid more pitfalls, but I just found no meaning in that either because regardless of how wise you live, you still die and your life is accounted for as enough. And I, I myself, when I'm reading this, I think, well, there's some people who live wisely and they they live on in our memory, and we still extol them as great. And I think of someone like George Washington, 
founder, one of the founders of America, living wisely. But even his statue is being toppled now. Then he turns to consider work. Verse 18 through 23, our next section. He says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? Yet he will be master of all for which I toil and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. And this also is vanity and great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? All his days are full of sorrow and his work of vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vain. Solomon is lamenting here that he's he's worked so hard for gain. He worked really hard to gain a lot. But in the end, he gained nothing. And his work seemed pointless. Any of you guys ever poured yourself into something working so hard? And you come away from it having not gained the satisfaction you thought you would, not getting what you pursued, or maybe getting it and not being satisfied with it. Like, what was the point of all of that work? Solomon is saying here that he gained nothing that lasts. He gained nothing that lasts. What what did he gain? Look at look at verse twenty two. It asks the question: What has man from all his hard work? 23 gives us the answer. His days are full of sorrow, his work of vexation, and a restless heart at night. He's saying, for all my hard work, I only gain sadness, annoyance, and no peace. Can you identify with that? Let me ask you, in your work, in your labor, what are you working for? What are you working for? Are you working for gain? I mean, it's a noble thing to provide for your family. Don't hear me saying that's not good. But what are you working for? Are you working to live a better life later? Solomon warns us, don't do that. He, he speaks directly into the face of the American dream that says, work hard, give yourself over to, to making as much money as you can for several years, several decades, and then at the end of your life, retire, happy, relaxed, comfortable, walking on the beach, electing seashells, not caring the world. He says, don't fall for that lie. He says, working hard that you may rest never leads to true rest. Working hard that you may rest never leads how often have you you guys ever known someone who they, they worked so hard and then they retired and then not long after that they passed away you guys known anyone like that you ever heard anyone commenting on that what a tragedy that is you know they finally arrived they finally got to this place of the american dream where they're able to just sit back and enjoy life and what a tragedy that they can 
I think it's such a tragedy because it's such a lie. You can only find rest later through hard work now. But working hard that you may rest never leads to rest. And it seems that there's um, a dissatisfaction with work in our culture. I think maybe that's where um, socialism and Marxism yeah, gained some ground, maybe. That we've, we've bought into this lie, we've found it to be a lie that, you know, um, satisfaction comes through working really hard, so then you can get a lot of stuff, but then we haven't gotten all the stuff we wanted, and so I'd rather just someone give it to me. But the solution is not to get other people to work for you, the solution is to find enjoyment and contentment in your work. I ask the question, what are you working for? Are you working for yourself? Are you working to amass wealth? Are you working to show yourself great, to be great and awesome and get this promotion? There's not any satisfaction in that. Where there's satisfaction in work is, is work is meant to be something that we do as image bearers. God works. God created us in his image, told us to be fruitful and multiply, to spread his image on the world, to be salt and light to our culture to make our communities a better place. Work is for others. I have to remind myself that all the time when I'm sitting there with a mortgage or opening up an account there's not a person visibly in front of me. Uh, I have to remind myself this is for someone else. This is not for me. Work to honor God. Work with your Father, with His help. Working to please Him because He sees you when your boss doesn't. Work because it pleases Him. Work because it serves others. That's where contentment is. Contentment, ultimately, our final point here, contentment in God and his gifts is the meaningful life. Contentment in God and his gifts is the meaningful life. Let me read verses 24 to 26. He says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil." This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is a vanity and a striving after. Notice that key verse there in verse 25. Apart from God, who can have enjoyment? What he's saying here is that he's saying God is the one who gives things, and God is the one who gives the ability to enjoy those things. And he's speaking of that as two distinct gifts. The way one commentator clearly puts it is it's like giving you a can of peaches is one gift, and giving you a can opener is the other. He gives us both gifts, and he gives the power to enjoy those gifts. And those are distinct gifts. And he's saying that to the sinner, to the one who is rebellious, persistently rebellious, he only gives the stuff. But he frustrates them and keeps them uh, from ever really enjoying it. But to the one who pleases him, he gives good things that we are to thank him for and to enjoy. He gives that enjoyment as well. But notice that that contentment, that ability to enjoy what he gives you, it comes from him, and it comes 
to the one who pleases him. Verse 26. To the one who pleases God, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. So who is the one who pleases him? Can we put ourselves in that category? Do we qualify for this? Have you lived a life that is pleasing to God? Have your works this week been pleasing to God? Has the meditation of your heart been pleasing to God? The words of your mouth, the meditation of your heart, has it been pleasing to God? And we must confess, maybe some of it, but by and large, I have fallen short. So is there any hope for us? How is, how can God be pleased? Jesus lived a life that pleased the Lord. Please Jesus to come and to live as a carpenter, to live then as a, a poor, wandering teacher. Please Jesus to serve. Please Jesus to offer his love life up in obedience to the Lord and, and Jesus was pleased to please the Father in that way. The Father looks on him and says, This is my beloved Son, and in him I am well pleased. So how, how can God be pleased with us? It is only by faith in Christ. It is only by faith that his works stand as a representation of my life. It is in him, hidden in him, that the Father is pleased with. Hebrews 11 says that without faith it is impossible to please God. Apart from faith in Christ, God is not pleased. God is not pleased with us. But with faith in Christ, God says, you are my beloved. He sings over us. He rejoices over us. He quiets us with his love. Zephaniah 3 says. God intends for us to enjoy his gifts. 1 Timothy 4.3 says that, you know, he gives marriage, marriage, he gives marriage and he gives good food. To, he created those things to be received with thanksgiving. He means for us to enjoy these things and to thank him for But so long as we are looking to the things of creation to give us ultimate meaning and satisfaction, they can't bear that weight. So how, how does it, how is it that God can give us enjoyment in the things of creation? I believe it's by removing the pressure that we put on those things to satisfy us. By removing the pressure that we put on created things to give our lives meaning and make us feel significant. Solomon tells us here that amassing stuff will not make you feel significant. That living wiser than the next person will not give you lasting significance. That working hard for stuff that, that doesn't last also will not give you lasting significance. If anything, Solomon proves that pursuing such things for significance only shows us how incredibly insignificant we are. But Christ makes you significant by his birth. Oh, insignificant one whose life is above breath. He is pleased to be crushed in your place, to die the death that you deserve, and to make you a righteous son or daughter, invite you into the Father's kingdom. 
knowing that he loves you, knowing that the Father loves you quietly. Knowing that he loves me regardless of how well I do at this or that. Knowing that he loves me without any reservation, regardless of the ugliness of my heart. That's what lets my heart rest. The security of Jesus. Because I will never leave you or forsake you. Knowing He is for us helps us to rest and stop seeking to take care of us and prove that we're somebody. And then rest in humble love. We can enjoy the gifts of creation that He gives. We can enjoy uh, a good joke. Good song, good meal, fellowship with a brother and sister. We can enjoy marriage or enjoy singleness. We can enjoy it all with contentment. But notice that he says, the one who continues to reject God, who continues to rebel, who, who continues to snuff his nose up at God and to want to enjoy his stuff without him, just like the prodigal son, that he gives only the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. That's not a verse you're going to see on any calendar. It's not a verse that you're going to see on any coffee mug. But he basically says that you can you can persist in rebelling against him all your life, but you're still going to serve his purposes anyway. He's still going to use you to bless his people. God intentionally frustrates us. He intentionally frustrates us. We seek meaning and satisfaction and joy and peace and all sorts of things that aren't him. Are you seeing what a mercy that is? That he would frustrate you from looking all about you for satisfaction and peace, that you would look up to him and hold on to him. That's perfect. God, would you help us? Would you continue to frustrate us? you continue to hedge our way in with thorns as you did Hosea's wife? Would you continue to block us as we seek to find meaning and happiness and satisfaction apart from you? That we might look up and receive from you. Jesus, in your mercy, please don't stop loving us. Please don't stop being for us. Please don't stop pleading our name before the Father. And we trust by your character, by your promises, that you will be ever Surely goodness and mercy will pursue us all the days of our life. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.